Hello, friends. Hope your week is going well. Excited to share another episode of the show with you. Today, my guest is Trey Radcliffe. He's a well-renowned photographer, um, public speaker. He's been producing artworks in Web2 for 10 plus years now. And um, at the moment, he's spending most of his time in Web3. He started his photography blog early in his career as a side hustle, which eventually became a six-figure business. Really cool story that he tells in the podcast itself. And that's when he decided to make photography his uh, full-time career. He since created works all over the world. His first NFT is actually a Burning Man photograph he auctioned off with Kevin Rose for charity. And uh, on today's show, we spoke about so many things. We spoke about photography. We spoke about psychedelics, meditation. Uh, we even dive into relationships. This was really a blast recording this, uh, and I learned so much from it. So um, without further ado, I just want to get right into the show. So please enjoy my convo with Trey Radcliffe. Trey Radcliffe, the legend. I enjoy your comments so much in the Proof Discord. It's great to um, finally meet you, at least via Zoom. Ah, oh, thanks. I feel like I'm always on the edge of getting banned in Proof. I'm, I like to ride, ride that edge. Uh, which I, I look very nipply in this, this shirt, don't I? <laughs> Sorry, but you don't get to choose your own nipples. That's what my grandmother told me. And uh, man, she had amazing nipples. We're talking Nat Geo. <laughs> Is there a classification for nipples? I don't know. Uh, maybe I'll, I'm going to Google it, see what I can find. Knowing what I know from you is that you're, you're, you started off as a photographer. How many years ago? You've been pretty established and working on it for a while now. Can you take us back to when it all started and um, actually what made you get into photography in the first place? Sure. Yeah, I didn't, you know, when I was younger, I wasn't into it at all. Um, my major at university, I had a double major in computer science and geophysics. I quit the geophysics part because I had a fight with a professor. And then I did a lot of math and anyway, an actual so, fight. No, not like a physical, not like a fist okay. fight. It was more of an intellectual tete-a-tete, if you will. Okay. I was right, by the way. But anyway, so uh, yeah, I kind of led a normal life, I guess, in IT until I was 35. Um, and that's when I got my first camera. Um, I'm 50 now. So I've been doing it for about, you know, 15 years or so, I guess. And yeah, I guess the turning moment was I was at that time I was I had an online gaming company. I love gaming and and that was kind of my creative outlet is to design games, which is incredibly fun. Uh, but uh, we had a we had studios like in Ukraine and in Kuala Lumpur. And so I was traveling mm -hmm. a lot. And I knew that my grandfather was in Kuala Lumpur during the war and he had loved it. I was like, well, maybe I should get a camera or something and go. And so I got my first camera. It was like a Nikon D80. And I went and I started taking photos. They have this kind of sky tower thing. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of cities have. And I went up there, incredible sunset. And I had a good camera. Um, I didn't know what I was doing. You know, I never read a book on photography or took a class or so whatever. are you just like using the auto mode yeah i was kind of in auto mode um but I, I remember like it was the most beautiful sunset like i had ever seen and i took a photo and i looked at the photo and the photo was shit i was like <laughs> what's going on how is that possible? this is how a good is camera <laughs> yeah how is it so different than my actual experience so that got me into hdr i started downloading it was all command line stuff at the time I started downloading these HDR programs that NASA was using. I got it through the MIT uh, website, oh, my mm -hmm. math nerd friends. And I thought like, 
okay, well, NASA is using these algorithms to analyze Mars photos, you know, to see if there's like iron in the soil or nitrogen in the air kind of enhances them. It's like, I wonder what would happen if you ran this like on a sunset photo, rainy photo. And I did it and it looked incredible. Like I thought this is more how I experience it. So that kind of started me on this lifelong mission to try to make the real beautiful world look as beautiful as it is in photos. Mm-hmm. Cause it, cause technically from what I know is that the perfect HDR per se is our, is our human vision, right? The eye, so to speak. That's right. Your retina can see like, there's called stops, like 11 stops of light. Um, mm-hmm. that's kind of the range of your, your own personal HDR, but a camera can only see about three. So then, well, better now cameras could do about five steps. Uh, or five stops by kind of covering that entire range and running it through this program, uh, you can make it feel like it actually does. And is that how you developed uh, Aurora? Yeah. So for years, I used this other um, third-party product called Photomatics, which was pretty good, but it was a little, you know, heavy-handed, a little, you know, sausage-fingered. And so I was like, I'm going to make my own. Uh, my own software for HDR. So I teamed up with this wonderful Ukrainian company called Skylum. And I was like, let's make our own program. So we we came up with Aurora and it got like millions of downloads. We didn't even know we were in the running, but we won Max or Apple Max uh, app of the year one time. Mm-hmm. So that got a ton more downloads and it's just a very fun easy to use program. I'm, I think probably because of my time in IT and game design, I'm kind of a product designer too. So I wanted to make something that was beautiful, uh, simple, approachable that could help anybody with their photography. That's awesome. And it uses AI, right? Kind of how it works. Although like in all honesty, it doesn't really use AI. That's just kind of a marketing thing. People it's a buzzword. <laughs> yeah. It just uses a basic algorithm. It does basically the same thing that impressionist painters did. Like if you look at Monet's or Renoir's or Cayabat's, you'll notice there's no black, there's no white, everything. Like there's always color in the shadow. So that's what the program does is it it brings out the color that's actually there that you see with your eyes. Uh-huh. And in terms of um, what you use as, because I know we, we exchange a couple of times on Discord uh, messages, like I ask you what you use and uh, a lot of times you said Fuji or Sony. Is that still the case? Yes, I'm a Sony guy. Um, I'm not, I get, I get free cameras from everybody. So none of this is paid, paid stuff. Yeah, I think Sony is the best. I, I was a Hasselblad ambassador for a while. But man, that camera, it was a great camera, but it's so slow. My goodness. And so <laughs> cumbersome. And there's only prime lenses, so there's no flexibility. So I ended up sending that back and I just went back to Sony. Yeah, I think. What is it, what is it with like um, Hasselblad or Leica, for example? Why are these cameras so coveted or popular in some way? Well, amongst like photography aficionados, um, Hasselblad and Leica tend to have the best lenses. So you get this incredible look that you can't get with a normal camera. Although you can still get that kind of a look still with, with a Sony. Um, yeah, but Leica does have incredible glass and Sony's flexible. So I can, I can put a little adapter on there. I can still use my like Leica Sumalux 1.4 and uh, other Leica lenses. So kind of have the best of both worlds by using a, a Sony body. Okay. Okay. You know, in the proof discord, I noticed that, um, I would say like every morning you post a photo of uh, New Zealand. How much do you actually shoot? Do you just go out like every day and just try to 
get a couple of shots in or how, how does that work your creative process? Well, I, I kind of wait for the muse to visit, right? Um, there is a school of thought that you should go take photos every day to, to get better and better. But like a lot of stuff that I post in proof is like back catalog stuff. Cause I've been shooting here. I've lived in New Zealand for the past, I guess, 12 years. And it's such a beautiful place. And I have so many photos and that's why I share them in proof just to brighten it up. And it's a very uh, nice way to start the morning. When I see those photos, yeah. I'm like, gosh, I wish I was there. <laughs> yeah, Nothing I post in proof is like uh, any of my NFTs or I'm not shilling or anything. So um, yeah, I, I don't think I've shared anything, any of my photos that are actually NFTs because that, that seems to like dirty the water a little bit or make you seem like you're, you got another angle or side hustle going on. So my soul is all about um, just sharing love and making people become more conscious. And if photography is a gateway into that, then that's, that's pretty good. It's, I don't need people to, I have no ego. I don't take myself seriously at all. In fact, that's the greatest gift an artist or anybody could give to themselves is to like, just have this egoic death. And then when you're not worried about that kind of stuff anymore, the stories that you tell yourself, you can just share. Like that's, that's what kids do. They, they make art on construction paper, you know, a little house with glitter glue or whatever. And then they run around and show it to their parents and the whole family. There's no ego in that. Like that's the most natural thing for humans to do is to create, whether it's art or food or whatever, and then share because that's, that's when you're in the true flow of the universe. On that, like, it's true, I guess, like on a lot of uh, the things when, as we grow up, it's not so much about learning, but more like unlearning the things that perhaps society or social pressure has put onto us and this ego that, or identity we've, we've formed as we grow up at, at first it could kind of protect us, but then eventually it just holds us back. How did you have this kind of ego death uh, as you as you mentioned? Well, very good question. It's been a process probably over the last 15 years, um, as I've been becoming a, full-time artist. Started out in Iceland. Um, I went to Iceland like every summer for four years in a row just to kind of learn photography. I was by myself uh, in the summer, right in the middle at the solstice. The, the sun doesn't go down. It's like a, it's like a seven hour sunset followed by a seven hour sunrise. And I remember I was out walking with my camera and like I was, you know, stepping on the soft tundra. I could feel it like it's like a, like a thick carpet and I was like watching little waterfalls and watching the clouds. And I was like, wow, I am really happy. You know, I, I don't think life is necessarily about being happy, but it's about having as many meaningful moments as you can. And while you're having a meaningful moment, sometimes happiness just kind of sneaks in the back door. And so I was just being very present. You know, um, I was just there. I didn't know what that was you know i didn't i hadn't studied any yoga or uh, meditation or any of that stuff but like i felt great just being present i wasn't worried about the past i wasn't worried about stupid shit i said in the past i, I wasn't worried about the future um i was just there and i was like this feels nice and then later when i started to go to uh meditation and yoga retreats 
I discovered the work of Eckhart Tolle and Michael Singer and others. And I would read their books. I was like, wow, like, this is what I've been going through. So they kind of added a, like an intellectual scaffolding around that. And so that was a big mm -hmm. part of releasing the ego and uh, that helped. And then also like psychedelics have been, oh my gosh, full ego death. I've done uh, several ayahuascas. I've done the crystallized poison of the Sonoran desert toad in the form of 5-MeO-DMT and all kinds of things. And that's like, you have no choice. You are dead. It's a full death experience. And what you see and what you feel is actual reality. You're like, this is incredible. Like, just stop mm -hmm. wasting time thinking about yourself or telling yourself stories or reinforcing your own stories by telling other people your story. That's Did that happen like really gradually throughout those different experiences that you've had? Yes, it's, it, it's a gradual building. It doesn't all happen at once. You don't have like a full realization. That's why it's, it's mm -hmm. called a practice, the practice of meditation, the practice of spiritual work, the practice of... Do you meditate? Yourself. What's that? Do you meditate? Yes, I meditate every day. I, I use the Sam Harris uh, waking up app. Well, that's not true. I don't do it every day, but maybe five or six days out of the week. Some, some mornings I just wake up and there's just too much going on. I don't have time to meditate, which is bad. Bad Trey. Bad meditation. <laughs> You're a bad person. So it's, it's so funny how, you know, it, I started meditating around like 14. And uh -huh. I, again, <laughs> in the perfect world, I would say, oh, I meditate every day, but that's not what it is. You know, obviously it's such a practice that it requires so much discipline, even though you're not doing anything, you're, you just have to sit there and just let it be and be there with your thoughts and observe them obviously without necessarily judging them. It's impo almost impossible to do when you first start doing it. You feel like, you feel like one minute is about like 30 minutes. Yeah. And are you someone that like, I read like on, I think it was on Wikipedia or something. It says you're, or no, actually it's on your Facebook bio. You say you're an INTJ. Yes. Are you someone that like thinks a lot by default? Yeah. Um, I think all introverts understand the, like the deep thoughts that go on inside. Um, I think a lot of people think I, I'm an extrovert but I've had to give so many public talks and interviews and meet with so many people. I've kind of, you know, when you do that Myers-Briggs, they always say like, there's like a three paragraph analysis. And the first two paragraphs are amazing. Like you're amazing. It's kind of like astrology. Like, yeah, that makes sense. And then the last paragraph is always like areas to work on. Like these are areas for improvement. And one of them for introverts is just being able to communicate authentically but I think introverts actually do communicate quite authentically. We, we look at extroverts like Tony Robbins and we're like, oh, I wish I could be like that. And when introverts communicate things, it's always a little bit awkward, but there's a true like authenticity to it. People can kind mm -hmm. of see you working through your thoughts. And yeah, to your point about meditating, that's awesome. You got started at 14. I wish they would teach this stuff in school. The two things I wish they would teach in school, well, three things. One meditation to like relationship management or, you know, how to communicate relationships. And the third is like uh, personal financial management. They don't teach oh, you in school. <laughs> These are three of the most important skills in life. But yeah, so when you meditate, you're, you are not your thoughts. 
that's the big breakthrough is that you are not the thoughts in your head, which is incredible. Like your heart just beats on its own. It pumps blood. You don't have to say, all right, heart pump your blood. You have to tell your stomach to digest food. It just digests food. That's what the mind does. It just thinks thoughts, but Mm -hmm. you're not those thoughts. And then your ability just to watch them go by like clouds in the sky, you you never look at a cloud and say like, that's a shit looking cloud. Or you never like walking through a, a forest and you see a tree. And you think like, that's a shitty looking tree. You, you never think that. So it's good to start thinking about your thoughts in that way. Um, and there's a freedom in that because you are not the thoughts in your head. You're the sweet silence that sits behind them. Mm-hmm. Uh, on that point, like you mentioned the Sam Harris app, and there was one section that I think it's it's more like on his um, kind of like a thought experiment that he does. And there was one that was on free will. And I thought it was very interesting how he he brought that up saying that, you know, do you think you have free will? For example, now, can you think your next thought? And it's like, it's just such a mind fuck because you're like, oh, it's true. I can't do it. Yeah, no, Sam Harris is a big mind fuck for sure when it comes to free will. I'm not... <laughs> I, I can't decide on free will. Uh, he does have some great experiments that prove his point. He's like, okay, think of a movie, you know, any movie, and just something pops into your head, you know, like Pulp Fiction. You're like, wow, where did that come from? Uh, and so he has a good point. My only counter argument to Sam is that if free will, if there is no free will, why are some decisions so hard? Like, what? why is it so hard to decide? Like, oh, should I move my ETH into USDC or like <laughs> when, when I fly to the U S should I spend a few days in Los Angeles? Uh, like just these decisions. I don't understand what the utility is. If I, you know, I believe in evolution and that we're all quite evolved in every way, just like every animal, but like what's the evolutionary purpose of spending hours or days making decisions if there is no free will? Uh, it just seems like a, a waste of, of our energy. So I'm, I'm not mm-hmm. sure. I think there's a mix between free will and volition. You're probably right. And uh, you mentioning USDC, ETH to USDC. My God, what a what interesting times. What are your thoughts on that? Like, I mean, it's, it's just... Yeah. Because the way I see it is like, there's so many, I guess, projects that, or artists that are not in it for the right reasons that will kind of get filtered out. And I think a lot of these very good projects will kind of stay the course, kind of what we see like in every, you know, bear markets, uh, let's say in, with stocks, for example, how do you see that? And also you as an artist, how do you react to that? Because you're, you're, you're a creator and you're, you're putting projects out there. Yeah. Well, I don't know if I'm well equipped to answer, answer this, but I'll, I'll try. Probably, you know, a better person to ask about this stuff would be like a serpent text or something that really analyzes markets. So let's skip the first part. Let's just go on onto the part where how will you adapt to that as an artist or will you just keep doing the same thing? Well, I think everything is going to be okay. Ultimately, Um, I think right now, you know, all crypto is tied to the real world economy. But as soon as the real world economy, like really, um, crashes, which it will, people will lose faith in all fiat currency. They're going to, they're already losing faith in governments. We can see this as a, a pattern that's happening. People aren't believing government more and more every year. They believe it, they believe in it less and less and the money that they print and they can see what's happened with people, with the U S and other countries printing way too much money. 
uh, inflation, like most Americans have never been through a serious inflationary period. Uh, so it's going to be rough. And so at some point, people will realize that crypto is the way. This is the way. And uh, so it's going to be rough for a while. But I think that crypto will be decoupled from the regular world economy soon enough. The sooner the better. But it's it's a clear pattern that's going to happen. But like as an artist, I produce many different things as NFTs. I try not to like flood the market with my stuff. I think like 95% of what I put out is sold out, which is good. And I always want to take care of previous collectors by giving them airdrops and things like that. I have a few, I kind of do three different things in NFTs. I think people know me as a photographer, which is fine. Although most artists are multidisciplinary. So I try not to pigeonhole myself. I've been doing these uh, generative fractals called Machine Elf. And those have been doing very well. Our first one sold out and our floor is like 2.5. Uh, and we're about to release another one pretty soon with another member from Proof. It's kind of a Moonbirds themed fractal. It's so beautiful. I can't wait to release it. People are going to love it. It's going to kill. Um, and then I have another project that's all about artificial intelligence and art and our relationship with AI. I just do stuff that I find fascinating. I'm not really too worried about the money. It does well. We've done a few thousands in uh, in total volume. So all this stuff does does well. I'm not so I'm trying to just be careful and smart and I'm learning so much from proof. You know, I got mm-hmm. I got six proof memberships, which was scary at the time because I, I I got one in the beginning for super cheap and then I continued to buy up until it was about 40 and god those were scary decisions, but they were great decisions. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and so I I totally trust Kevin and the team and uh Everything's going to be fine. Just keep the faith. What made you believe in proof so much that you got six of them? Well, I well, I know Kevin. Uh, I've stayed with him and Daria up, up at their home, and I did one of his podcasts. And he's just a good person, and he's clever as shit, and he's kind, and he's loving, and he sees it. Like I completely share his vision. Kind of a funny story. I'll tell you about six years ago. My wife uh, got cancer. That's not the funny part of the story, by the way. She, she's fine now. But she had, <laughs> she had NETs, neuroendocrine tumors, uh, which is the same thing that Steve Jobs died of. And so it was a little touch and go there for a while. We didn't, we didn't know like, if she would live and what would I do with the kids. And it's a confusing time. And so I was like, well, what do I do with all this very weird energy? So I made this video, this Alan Watts video, that had the words of Alan Watts, the music of my favorite composer, Hans Zimmer, and all my drone footage that I've been collecting for 15 years. And it went out, it was like a huge hit. It got like over a million views, people loved it. And then Kevin found it on his own. And he emailed me, he was making a meditation app at the time called Oak. I think He asked, hey, can I put, I love this video, can I put it in my app? I was like, totally Kevin, for sure. And then a few years later, I was in town and went to go stay with him. We got to be friends. And then probably 18 months ago, he sent me an email. He's like, Trey, you should really get into NFTs. Uh, they're going to be big. I was like, oh, I said, like, you're an idiot, Kevin. You never know what you're talking about. <laughs> but in this case, he was right. So I, so I, I'm just kidding. Yeah. So I, I jumped in and yeah, that was the beginning. In fact, my very first NFT was one I released with Kevin 
it was a Burning Man photo. And then we gave all the money to two different charities. Wow. That's awesome. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I share the same, uh, obviously like I don't, I don't know Kevin as closely as you, but like the times that we've interacted in NYC at the proof meetup, he just, he's just genuinely like who he is. Like you're, you're no filters, just very smart and very thoughtful when he, he communicates. It's not, um, you know, it's not for, for the show and it's not for like the one thing that I love what that he says is under promise and over deliver. He doesn't really just like hype up something to hype it up. He just does like he just delivers. Yeah. Always delivering product. Um, smart. And he's got a, he's got a good team. You mentioned burning man. So tell me about that because I mean, I've, I've heard about it and you know, I've, I've heard about experiences through friends or uh, common friends and it seems like over the years, it's changed a lot. Have you, like, how many times have you been to Burning Man? And uh, do, you, do you think it's changed? And how has it changed you? Uh, yes, I've been for 10 years in a row. Um, it's been canceled wow. the last two years. There's like an unofficial burn. I didn't go to those. Um, I'll be back this year. Yeah, Burning Man has really changed me. I, to answer your question directly, I don't think it's changed that much in the past 10 years. People say it's becoming more commercialized or it's not. You know, if you have your group and your crew and your tribe, it's all this, it's all the same as always. Um, just so many loving, conscious people, 80,000 people all there, just there to love and be conscious and give each other hugs and help each other, which is like the opposite of the real world. In the real world, you have to walk around and you always kind of have your heckles up. You know, there could be danger anywhere with the muggles and the normies, but not there. Mm -hmm. So after a while, you know, it takes me maybe just 24 hours, maybe a day and a half. And then you just like completely relax because, you know, you're in such a safe place. So at, at Burning Man, I try to split my day into thirds. It's always the goal. I don't always do this, but I try to sleep eight hours a day. I take photos for eight hours a day. And then I take drugs for eight hours a day with my friends. And then I went to repeat. And it's quite cool because the people that run my camp are uh, doctors. A mm. man and woman, they're married. And like they were able to tell me exact, like I hadn't done any drugs at all until I was like 40. I was always scared of them. And, you know, we've all been brainwashed if you're around my age. So they started with like, Trey, you should do some MDMA. Like you're already a happy, positive guy, but like we can't wait to see Trey on the MD. And they explained what would happen, that I would have drop a lot of adrenaline and oxytocin and serotonin and, and like how long it would last. And we measured it. All. We're all drug nerds, right? So we measure out exact milligrams based on body weight and how many top ups you can have before it becomes dangerous and how long you have to wait between sessions and taking five HTP. So like we're, we're super nerds about it. Uh, but yeah, that, that's been amazing. Completely opened my mind. What would you say? Like it's really being in a, in a circle of people you can trust that kind of made you just comfortable doing it. Cause I know there's some, some people when they try, let's say like MDMA for the first time, or let's say doing an ayahuasca trip, they, they kind of, you know, they have a bad trip. How do you deal with that? Did you have some of those and did, does it get better? Oh, great question. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have, a, I have a podcast called Molecules I've Ingested, where I, I talk about different stories. It's kind of a funny podcast, but it's also educational. Yeah, I think about this stuff a lot. First of all, M MDMA and ayahuasca, they're very different 
categories. But yes, if you have a, a safe group of friends that you're around and you trust each other, and I like to do this, I like to sit around with my friends before we do this, and we just set a little intention, you know, like, this is what I'm working on tonight. And maybe you just want to party and get fucked up, which is fine. I used to, that used to be my go-to, but now I would say like 80, 90% of the time, I have some kind of spiritual intention or I want to um, think about something or I want to understand something more about about myself. And I've only had one bad trip on MDMA. That's because I was not in the right mindset. Uh, it's all about set and setting, you know, your mindset and the people that you're with. But that's just one out of like 50 Ayahuasca and acid and other things, those are totally different. I have had bad trips, but I hate to label them because you go through a, a darkness or you have an understanding. And mm. um, yeah, and so some, yeah, it's some not topic. pleasant. It's not pleasant yeah. per se, but ultimately, I mean, hopefully it teaches you something about something that you're not addressing or that you're pushing back in yourself in some ways. Oh, for sure. And that, that's why I think psychedelics should be tried by everybody, but if don't do it alone or don't do it in a bad situation, you know, there's this organization called MAPS, the multidisciplinary something of psychedelic studies. And so they have MAPS trained counselors or, you know, psychotherapists that can guide you through it. So you kind of lay down on a couch with an eye mask on and they put on music and they're just there. You don't have to talk to them, but they hold space with you and you talk about your intentions and, so many people are, well, so many people don't meditate. They're just afraid to be alone with themselves for one thing. So they distract themselves all day with all sorts of things. I'm guilty of that as much as the next guy. But then when you're on these psychedelics, whether it be mushrooms or acid or ayahuasca or whatever it is, you have no choice. You are there with yourself and mm -hmm. you got to deal with stuff and think about things that aren't working in your life. Think about relationships that aren't serving you anymore. Figure out ways to love yourself more and take care of yourself more. Uh, yeah, so these are really interesting journeys. Yeah, for someone that never sat down uh, alone with their thoughts, uh, it can, can, can be a lot at once to kind of digest, I guess, if you've been pushing it away for so long or just something, you know, because it's so easy in life to, to stay busy. I mean, as you're saying, I'm the same, like, um, it doesn't come natural to just sit there and like check in with yourself and be totally present. Like, I know that even now, like as we're speaking, I could be more present. You know, I just felt myself sitting down like the bottom of my feet. I'm like, oh shit. Yeah. I'm here. You know? Yeah. But that doesn't come naturally. It's almost like our mind is always on autopilot for the next thing. Yeah. The, the mind is an interesting place. <laughs> and it will try to distract you all the time. But it's wonderful just to be able to sit alone and just like look at a tree and like, yeah, the world's all right. Everything's going to be fine. You know, I think probably you and me and everyone in Proof, we spend so much time looking at screens. I'm so guilty mm -hmm. of it, but that kind of builds up a low level of anxiety. So it's just nice to get out in nature and walk around, and look at the beautiful world. How much time do you think you're spending on average like outside in nature because i feel like you're doing so much landscape beautiful photography seems like you travel a lot and you you're outside a lot uh yeah i i don't spend enough time out in nature but i try to spend at least a few hours a day it's awesome. out, uh doing road trips across new zealand yeah it's it's been it's really nice to, to get outside i should get out more 
But otherwise, <laughs> like I, I spend probably way too much time in Discord. But it's so fun. I mean, people at Proof yeah. are incredibly smart. I'm learning a lot. Uh, they're fun. They're kind. They're loving. It's, a, it's such a sweet group that it's kind of become like my little nest. You know, when when life gets too much, you know, or Something's going on. Like, I right, life, I'm done with you. I'm going to go to Discord and I'm going to DJ for a while. Uh, to me, the, the biggest moment of that on my, on my perspective with Proof was when the Grails were, uh, with the Grails drop. We're, I was so in it, just like trying to find information left and right. Like, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And then you actually wrote like your whole thesis about how like the first grail was actually from, um, from Jack Dorsey. And I was like, Oh man, that makes so much sense. And, uh, eventually it didn't turn out to be that way, but I still haven't given up on my theory, by the way, uh, <laughs> but my analysis on Jack Dorsey and Africa and the flags, it was good. It made so much sense. It was so deep. I was like, Oh my God, it's like this Tom Hanks kind of, Illuminati stuff, like all coming together. <laughs> yeah, it, it's funny. It, it makes me think about conspiracy. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, and, but I, I see conspiracy theorists all the time that really believe in these conspiracies. I think, oh, well, I guess I was pretty self-deluded. You know, I talked my, myself into my own conspiracy theory. So I guess I could see how it, how it can happen. Uh, but still, I want to know more. You're very good at articulating your thoughts. And I know that you mentioned... You know, as an introverted, I guess like that's something you had to push yourself to do more and more. Just get on a stage, do some public speaking. What's one tip that you can give people to just be more verbose in a sense? And also like the way that you write, it's just awesome. Like every time I, I read a comment of yours and proof, I'm like, yes, this is it. Does that come just naturally? Does it get better over time? Like, or is, it just, is that just a natural talent that you have writing so well? Oh, well, thank you. That's. That's sweet of you to say. Well, I've always loved writing. You know, I had my blog at Stuck in Customs for like 15 years. I don't write there much anymore, but probably for 14 years, I made a new blog post every single day. So I would share a photo from somewhere around the world and tell a little story. And that got me used to it. Actually, I come to think of it, I started writing back in my, well, my whole life, but I started publishing stuff on the web in my early 20s because I was in a, a Quake clan. And oh we my were, God. Yeah. Quake, we were, Quake was so amazing. <laughs> I know. Well, the funny thing about my clan is called the Force Clan. We were horrible that we lost every match, <laughs> but we were all quite hilarious. And so I, I started, they didn't have blogs at the time, but every day I would write something about how horrible we were at Quake. And like, there were all these Quake Clan websites out there. Like, if you had a clan, you started this little website where it basically looks super tough and everyone has names and there's little screenshots and they talk about how, how awesome your clan is and stuff. But I noticed that most of these websites, they were like written by idiots, like with horrible punctuation and like the stuff they. So I, I started to do breakdowns of all these Quake Clan websites and what idiots they were. So we became kind of like this satirical kind of like. So anyway, I've always loved writing and always loved kind of trying to put humor into it. I guess to get to your question, one of the biggest things that helps with public speaking and uh, communicating is not taking yourself seriously. And having mm -hmm. that full ego death is really easy because it's one of the hardest, like this is like counterintuitive. It's one of the hardest things in the world to be yourself. Yeah. 
and you know i think so many people role play or try to pretend to be somebody else and i think through art through photography i've come to know myself by taking photos and seeing what i like and what i don't like it's uh like art is incredibly therapeutic and being creative is hard i mean it's a it's not easy so you know as you create pieces of art you kind of create yourself and then as you talk um you get to know yourself you like i don't always like everything i say i stumble around or stay say stupid shit from time to time but you just kind of keep going up to the bat and keep making swings and over time you just slowly get better yeah it's so funny it's it's like i think so many people relate to this especially when you tell them like go speak to this stranger go you know let, you're at a conference go go say hi to this person or just like you know just go say hi and it's like most people can't even do it without feeling some sort of approach and anxiety which is so it, and and you just wonder like why you know like that person's not going to eat you yeah i i noticed that i do these events around the world i do these photo walks i think i've probably done 80 or 90 cities now and i put it out on twitter and facebook and instagram and then uh, people come out sometimes if it's a, a small town maybe just like 20 if it's a big one like new york or dc we get like hundreds and hundreds and i get there a few hours early and to like shake hands and take selfies and kiss babies and all that stuff and people come up to me to meet me um that's why i'm there and some people are like so nervous and it's kind of sweet and I don't care. Like I'm the nicest guy in the world. And so I try to make people feel comfortable and that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it could be a hurdle for a lot of people. And I get into that situation also when I go up to introduce myself to someone that I really admire, I, I try mm -hmm. to be cool. It doesn't always go well. I had this real train wreck with Neil Stevenson Oh, that's another story. It, it turned out <laughs> fine, but it was it was it was a rough ride. Like as you're having the conversation, you're just like, "Oh my god, what an idiot! Why 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 do I look so flustered or whatnot?" Just be normal, you know. Do do you have like photographers? You're saying like people you look up to. Do you have photographers that really inspired you in some way? Um, I there's so many great photographers out there, and there's so much great stuff I see on Instagram and all over the place. I won't even name names, but there are a ton of great people. However, I would say that I'm not this, uh, I mean, this is sound bad, but I'm not really inspired by other photographers. I'm more inspired mm -hmm. by film and movies and paintings and sculptures or performance art or things that are outside of my immediate spectrum. Uh, part of that is maybe my fierce independence. And also I don't want to get caught in a thought bubble or a thought loop um by being overly influenced by other photographers because i just kind of want to do my own thing speaking of doing your own thing with the nfts that you talked about uh, so machine elf right yes how what's the process of that like how do you create that fractal and for the people that haven't seen it just youtube you know go on youtube and type uh, trey ratcliffe uh, machine elf and you see these amazing I, I don't know how you define them per se like do you do you have a way of defining that genre uh, of art that you're creating um, well, it's very particular. Like I, I just, and I mean that in the most, like most beautiful way ever It's very therapeutic to look at. And depending on the ones that, cause I know you posted a, like so, sometimes like in proof, you would post one that you just made and I would just listen to it. And, uh, some of them just makes you super calm. Some of them gets you in a 
different state of mind. How do you get inspired to make these? And does it go with how you feel at the moment as well? Like wanting to do uh, something that's a bit more calm and serene, for example? Well, I got into this during the very first lockdown, which I guess was almost two years ago. And I was here alone in, in my little cabin. This is my art studio. I live over there in the main house. But at that time, we were renting it out to a, a family so that they stayed over there and I, I stayed here. And so I was just, it was cold. I was alone for months. And I was thinking about all of my amazing like DMT and acid and psychedelic experiences. And the things that you see are just indescribably beautiful. So I thought, maybe I can try to make this happen. So I got on Reddit, started looking at different mathematical fractal programs. I was like, can I create something? So yeah, I spent months and months learning this extremely esoteric program that's really for mathematicians, but I kind of used it to make these fractals. And then I would put nice music on and, you know, the music actually acts as a coefficient to change the waveforms and change the math and the shapes and the colors, that sort of thing. And then I started making these. I was like, wow, these are pretty cool. It was almost like a self-therapy thing. And then I realized I kind of had this understanding that I think the future will be like visual meditations, not just audio. I know you meditate. You probably listen to stuff like I listen to Sam Harris and so many other meditations. Mm -hmm. But that's it's just audio. And even though you and I are probably pretty decent meditators, other thoughts still come into your head while you're meditating. But the two most powerful senses of our five, or the five we know of, are what you hear and what you see. And I noticed as I started watching these things in 4K or in virtual reality, that your two biggest senses are just overwhelmed. You're what you see and what you, and what you hear. And it's impossible to have other thoughts. So it's kind of like a forced mm -hmm. meditation. So after you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes, however long these things go your mind settles down. There's this Indian uh, meditator that I like to listen to. It's like your, your mind is like a, like a glass of muddy water. You know, if you just leave it alone for five minutes, the mud will settle to the bottom and there's clarity on top. So that's kind of what this, this force is. Yeah. So we released the first machine elf one uh, that did well. We have another one coming up uh, that I mentioned Moonbird. It might have something to do with members. It might not. It's still a secret. But I'm doing this okay. with uh, Keith. We actually started on the project because uh, like my son had two Moonbirds stolen, which is super sad. It was actually oh my, God. my fault. Uh, I, I take the blame for it. Totally. And then, uh, so Keith contacted me. He goes, oh, that sucks. He goes, let's, let's, he goes, I have some incredible Moonbirds music and you have these fractals. So we decided to come together and make this thing. And then while we're making this, Keith had 29 Moonbirds stolen. Like, oh, he's gotten 10 of them back. Oh, yeah, yeah, I heard yeah. of Oh, my God. Uh, so anyway, we're about to release this thing. And we're going to give freebies to our, our first collectors of the original Machine Elf stuff. And now, and then about a month after that, uh, we've pretty much finished the next Machine Elf one. I did a collaboration with Justin Barretta from the Glitch Mob. And mm. we got the rights to some Alan Watts uh, words from his family. And it is, that's also incredible. So yeah, we're really excited about that whole ecosystem. And I just recently announced that like, if anyone owns any of my NFTs, whether it's AI avatar or photography or one of these machine elf things, 
it counts as a ticket uh, to get into an event with me. I'm going to be doing a, a 30 city world tour. And in the afternoon, we're going to have like a free educational thing where people come in. I can talk about art to kids or kids of all ages. And then around, uh, you know, sunset or something, we'll close the doors for a VIP party for people that have my NFTs. And, you know, we'll have beer and champagne or whatever. It'll probably be a fancy place. Like one of my partners is the Ritz Carlton. So we'll probably do that, do it there as much as possible. And, uh, and then I'll create a piece of art live, uh, kind of show people what I'm doing and talk through it and answer questions. And then I'll just like airdrop it to everyone that's there. So I thought that would be like so a cool. really fun kind of real world utility. Uh, Cause I love, I love meeting people and inspiring. I think it's going to be great. Are you going to be in NFT NYC? No, I will not be there. It's a little far from New Zealand, but um, one of my girlfriends just flew there to New York. So I'm giving her a proof pass and I'm giving her one of my uh, wizard hat moonbirds. So oh, um, awesome. She'll be at the party and I guess she gets into the little David Blaine event too. And I'm introducing her to some of the other female artists that are in proof so that they can have a little estro fest before I send her into that pit of vipers. <laughs> <laughs> see like now i'm recognizing the trade from proof i <laughs> 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 love it when when you break into like again these verbose ways of putting things i'm like how does he even come up with that <laughs> <laughs> it's because i have a sick twisted mind you don't want to know <laughs> don't, don't we all though i think we do too yeah that's the thing with like you like being yourself at the end of the day it's, it's the most cliche advice you'll ever get, especially in terms of like relationships. It's like, oh yeah, just be yourself. But yeah. what does being yourself mean totally. if you've never actually been yourself unless when you were a kid and just playing around? Yeah, that's, that's so much of the, the best thing about being an adult is finding the, the kid in yourself. Because, you know, if you really think back, I bet most people when they were kids, they were kind of their own best friend and they would go out and play and they would have like this funny internal dialogue and you can get back to that uh, anytime. And that's nice because when you're comfortable with yourself and your heart is full of love, then you can begin to share that with other people and not depend on other people to fill whatever hole that you haven't filled inside of yourself. Because that hole is bottomless, right? If you haven't dealt with that stuff, you're always looking for stuff on the outside to fill that. Yeah, just getting back to being your own best friend is a wonderful place to be. And do you feel like finding a right partner in terms of like the relationship is also very important to that? Because I feel like relationships can teach you so much about yourself too. And if you, you're not with the right person, that's maybe not even at the same stage of life that you are and not willing to learn the same things as you're learning, or at least being patient with it, you, you might not have that great of a relationship or at least a growing one where you as an individual are growing, but also the other person as well. Yeah. Finding a good relationship is awesome. It, I would always consider it a bonus on top of your life. You know, if you need someone else to make you happy or to complete you in some way, but when you're, when you're a fairly complete person or you're, you're working on yourself, then you can share that with someone else. I was, I was married for about 20 years uh, to Tina still love each other say, I love you. It's very mature, that kind of stuff. But, you know, I had changed so much when I became an artist. I wasn't really the guy she married anymore. I, mean, I still was, but, you know, I, I had just changed so much. It wasn't really working anymore. And then I've had just like 
just a few serious relationships since then. And yeah, it w- I was never looking outside for myself. And now I've got these two beautiful girlfriends. I'm, I've been in other poly situations before. It's incredibly tricky. In fact, we have this, we, this is a ridiculous thing to say, but we have this poly coach named Kitty. It's like this nine week course where we all get together. We, we talk and because it's complicated and it kind of goes back to this idea that you can't get everything that you might want or have all your needs met by one person that has puts a lot of pressure on that person to be everything for you. So having more of a triad or polycule is what they're called. Uh, that's incredibly interesting. It's challenging. Uh, you have to be a good communicator, which I'm a good, I'm a genius communicator, but it takes like, not just like twice as much communication, it takes four times as much. And that's one of the greatest things really about this course is that it just teaches you basic relationship communications. Well, like five or 10% is even poly oriented. But like, I, I was already a good communicator, but then after this class, I became even better communicator. I'm like, why don't they teach this stuff in high school? This is it's probably the most important lifetime skill is communicating in relationships. So yeah, it's, it's very tricky. I guess like everything in life is about communication at the end of the day. And if you're, if you're good at it, it can make your life so much easier, whether it's in personal relationship or in business and life in general, like a lot of the success also comes down to communication and how you're able to clearly define what it is that you need from others and what you can do for them as well. Final question before like I, we, we kind of wrap this up. I, I was wondering as an artist, like how did you really just start out? Like when, when was the moment that you realized that, hey, this is what I'm going to be doing all the time? Because I'm sure like before that you, you got your, you know, Nikon D, D90, right? Like the D80. And then, you know, you took your first, first photo, maybe you fell in love with it. But then when was that breaking moment where you said, I'm going to do this, like just all the time? Yeah. Good question. Well, I, this is back when I got started, there was no social networks in the olden days, 15 years ago, but there was Flickr and I would upload my photos to Flickr. And, uh, I got like a ton of hate because of the way I process things. I was like, wow, this is weird. I'm not used to getting so much hate. Uh, but like it gave me a super thick skin early on. And then I just started to ignore all of them. In fact, one of my greatest skills is ignoring people. Uh, so, uh, and then I started the blog stuck in customs and I put up my little HDR tutorial, which was free. But I had like affiliate links, you know, to download stuff where I would get a little bit of money for every sale. And I guess for the first year, it was kind of ticking along, doing okay. I mean, like, I don't know, ten or $20,000, but I still had my job at the game company. And then I had this, this guy, uh, Scott Cublin, he contacted me and he goes, he goes, Trey, I'm an SEO expert. I'm like, oh God, I don't want to talk to these guys knowing. <laughs> like, I know Google, I'm computer science. I know how the web works. I don't need to talk to you. But anyway, he goes, like, how about, he goes, I think you're sitting on a gold mine with all the information you have there. Uh, how about, like, you help me with my photography for an hour and then I'll help you with your website for an hour. I was like, okay, what's, what's the downside? And so anyway, he made a few tweaks to my website and the way WordPress worked and everything. And then right after that, it kind of doubled to about like, $50,000. It's like, wow, okay, there's a lot more to this. 
And then he, and then he invited me to this porn conference, uh, which I think was in Atlanta. And so it's like <laughs> porn and gambling, right? All website stuff, right? It wasn't a porn conference. It was, a, it was like a, a thing about like <laughs> optimizing yeah. SEO for porn websites. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He goes like, look, these guys know what they're doing. You know, they're always on the cutting edge. And you're like, all the gambling websites, the porn website, they, they know how to, they know how to like get the search results that you want, you know, whatever you're looking for, like. Yeah, and they know how to create a funnel. Yeah. Yeah, they do. And so he goes, but he goes, you go there, you actually have legitimate stuff. You have, you know, camera reviews, bag reviews, good articles, great photos, like, just go reuse all their tricks on your website. So I went and did that. And then it jumped up to like a quarter million dollars a year, uh, just based on the stuff that I learned there. And so I always kind of thought about it a little bit like a game in a way. Uh, it's a fun game, but I was actually helping people, you know, people got a lot out of it. And I ended up with a pretty big fan base. So when it started cranking in a lot of money, I'm like, I think I'm just going to do this full time and just travel the world to take photos and, keep learning and sharing. And yeah, that was, that was a big change. Yeah. I think that's awesome. And it's one thing that I hear over and over again with success, like whether you're a successful photographer or an entrepreneur, it doesn't always have to be this story of like, I left it all. And then I just put everything on the table, right? Like it happens gradually and there's many ways to hack at it. Like you're, you started out doing your blog as a almost like a side hustle and like just taking photos because it was a passion of yours. And then eventually you just saw the potential and that at a certain point you said, oh, it makes sense to just go all in now. Yeah, it was, it was great. I had the support of my wife, Tina and my kids, you know, when you have three young kids, it's always scary because there's just bills to pay mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. And yeah, for a while it was just me and Tina and she was doing the accounting and stuff like that. And then as we grew, I started to add more people to the team. Then we launched a, fine art business where we do huge prints, uh, very limited edition. And that turned into a multi-million dollar business. Uh, we ended up with collectors like uh, we have NFL stars. We have actors like Edward Norton and Leonardo DiCaprio that collect my work. Cool. So that formed a really nice real life network that kind of kept fueling the engines. Do you still do the f uh, physical prints for your NFTs? Uh, sometimes, sometimes I do. Uh, rarely. Uh, I, some of I've only really released 42, uh, real life prints, like two sets of 21. Uh, but we're considering adding NFTs to those as well so that people could buy the NFT and they get the physical print and they can keep the physical print forever. And then they can resell the NFT when, whenever they want to. That's awesome. On that note, what, what's next for Trey Radcliffe or what are you working on and what can you share with, you know, the people listening to this podcast? What should they be on the lookout for in the next few months or in the next uh, year? Well, I don't have anything specific to share. I am working on a project uh, that I think would be amazing for proof uh, and just for proof. Uh, I mean, I love I love you guys so much. And this is going to be very unique. It's going to take a lot of work. Probably take me two or three months to put together. But uh, maybe I'll release that towards the end of the year. I like to take my time with it. I'm excited about everything I'm releasing. I have so much stuff. Oh my gosh. Like with our AI project, which is looks kind of dead now, but uh, the floor is like super low. Uh, where we made these 6,000 uh, AIs that, you know, they, they talk to you. And like I came up with 6,000 questions and asked the AI. And we actually used two different AIs to produce the results. 
And we were the very first like AI kind of avatar thing on the blockchain. So we've got some OG status there. But we are pretty much ready to release phase two, uh, where you're whatever AI you own, they all have different personalities and they may talk for a minute or two minutes or three minutes. They can talk about anything from unicorns to transgender people to AIs becoming self-aware to killing humans. It's wild, the stuff they talk about. It's incredibly fascinating. So we're having each of these AIs draw a self-portrait of themselves based on what they talk about. And then we're using another AI this is an inchoate plan. None of this is set in stone, by the way, to write a little story about themselves, like a little biography, uh, how they came into being, what they're into. And that's also based on what they talked about in the original video. Like, mm. I love this idea of like not releasing one AI on the world, but thousands and thousands of AIs and just keeping it fun and light and silly. How complicated is the process of making that? Do you have to code it? I'm very newbie with AI stuff like yes it's incredibly complicated uh my my partner on this is uh lexi a wonderful girl that lives just down the road and she's like an ai expert so she built this pipeline using uh gpt3 and open ai and then another ai that changed the faces around to make it all happen it's it's incredibly complicated but it was a great project in fact like from the time we had the idea to release we actually got the whole thing done in like four or five weeks, and then it, it sold out immediately. Uh, there were some problems with the release, and we got really hit hard by another AI company that attacked us and did all this insidious stuff. But we've finally recovered from that. Anyway, we're working on phase two, and we have phase three and phase four. We're not sure when to release it. I mean, the market right now is shit, so it's probably not the best time. I kind of want to wait for ETH2 to jump onto the scene so gas prices would go down so it's less cringy to clean the floor, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so we're we're considering all these things. But, you know, we look, I I hate to compare myself to Kevin, but I will. I, I always deliver. I want people to be happy. People, Let's please go. Good. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. LFG. Thank you for taking time, Trey. I appreciate you creating as much as you do because... It's through these imageries that people can also travel to other parts of the world, even though, you know, I'm because I was sometimes I was looking at your photography from Montreal, Canada, and it was like super snowy outside, cold as hell. And then I see like this beautiful photography. I'm like, ah, oh, made my morning a bit better. And um, just also like the what you're pushing with your transparency and being yourself. I think it's a message that more people need to hear in the world and actually become an artist that can communicate clearly through their work without any filter so wow. i want to acknowledge you for that and again thank you. thank you for doing this thank you and let's let's just jump back into into the proof discord and just start some more shit posting that's it for today's episode i hope you enjoyed the show and if you did please consider leaving a review for me um it's always super helpful to get that kind of feedback uh, of what i'm doing right what i could improve and uh so if you can take 13 to 35 seconds of your time to share some thoughts with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you again for listening and uh, until next time.